I want to talk a little bit about <clears throat> the fourth parak of Eicha. The fourth parak of Eicha was written by Yirmiyah and Navi together with all the other parakim. The fourth parak of Eicha was written in particular to mourn the loss of Yeshiyahu HaMelech. And it begins, Eicha Yuam Zav, and it's referring to the Zav, the, the golds, referring to Yeshiyahu HaMelech, who was killed in war. And it's, uh, we have a dedicated kinah, which we said this morning, that also goes through the details of that story. And it's a, it's a very, very powerful message, both the Perak and Eicha and uh, the kinah. So I want to talk a little bit about it. Uh, first, just a little bit about the background of Eicha itself. Eicha was originally written by Yermiyahu Hanavi, just three prakim, the Perak 1, 2, and 4. Those are the three prakim that begin with the word Eicha. Those three prakim were originally war, uh, written, they were written about 15 years before the Kharban. HaKadosh Baruch Hu commanded Yirmiyah Navi to write it, and he told Baruch HaTalmud, who was a cipher, to write it. And he wrote just those three, those three prakim that begin with the word Eicha. And a year later, a year after he wrote it, he then sh- he shared it, and he, his Talmud Baruch read it in front of a whole tzibur that were gathered around the Beis HaMikdash. And the king at the time was Tzitkiyo HaMelech, Yoyakum, I'm sorry, Yoyakum, uh, he wasn't there, and he had, hadn't come together. It was a fast day. They had, they had, they had declared a fast day. It was the middle of, uh, not, not one of our fast days, and they had declared it because Nebuchadnezzar was already, uh, already threatening Yerushalayim. And the, the, the noblemen heard the words of Eicha, which was predicting in past tense the Kharbin and all the tsaras and all the suffering that was going to happen with the Kharbin, and they said that this has to be read in front of Yehayakum. And it was then, the whole story in Tanakh was read in front of Yehayakum, and Yehayakum, he heard the first couple of psukim, and according to the Gemara, when, when, once he heard the Pasuk, Malchav Sarea Bagayim, that the king will also go into Galos, he, com- he commanded that they should tear out all the mentions of Hashem's name in those three prakim of Eicha and burn it. And he burnt it all at that, at that moment. And m- many of the noblemen who witnessed this also didn't, didn't protest, they didn't say anything, and they allowed it to happen. And he think, thought, thought somehow that he would uh, prevent the Kharban ha- from happening by doing that, but then Hashem commanded Yirmiyah and Navi to write it again. And he wrote it once again, these three Prakim, Perak 1, 2, and 4, and then it says Yosef Rabim Kahema, and that's when he added the third Perak, which is triple the size of all the other Prakim, because each other Perak, 1, 2, and 4, has, corresponds to the letter of the Aleph Beis. There's 22 psukim, each one. Each one, each pasuk beginning with Aleph Beis, Gimel Dal. Whereas the third parak, even though it doesn't begin with Eicha, it has three times the times, uh, size of Aleph Beis. It's Aleph, Aleph, Aleph Beis, Beis, Beis. So it's 66 psukim. The last parak was basically Divrei Nechama. That's the fifth parak of Eicha, where he, he gives us um, some encouragement on the future. And the Maral says a fascinating thing in Netzach Yisrael. He says that the parak Aleph, uh, Bez and Dalad, which were the ones that are originally written by Yermiyoh Hanavi, correspond to the three Averis, the three sins that caused the Kharbin of the first Beis Amikdash. The Avadizara, Gilarayis, and Ritzicha, right? The Shrikas Damim, the idolatry and illicit uh, acts and, and uh, murder. And that's why there are three Prakim. And he says the third parak, which he added, was written, Keneged Sinashinam. Was written to for the what's going to cause the second carbon base of mikdash sinas chinam, which was according to the Gemara, it's equivalent to all three. So that's why it's the same size as all three prakim because it's equivalent to all those three thin, sins. But yet it's one parak because it's one avera of sinas chinam, and that's the pshat in the third parak. 
What's interesting is that, what you have to realize about this, I should say, is that when, when we say that Sinas Chinam is what destroyed the second base of Mikdash, and these three Averis are what destroyed the first base of Mikdash, we're more referring to the character flaws that caused these Averis than we're referring to the Averis themselves. If you learn the Gemara, uh, the Gemara has a discussion about what the exactly Shvichas Damim meant, and according to one opinion in the Gemara, it meant that Yishaya Navi was killed. That was the whole Shvichas Damim. That kill that that destroyed the uh, the first base of Mikdash, but it wasn't uh, that was just an expression of it. But there was a character flaw that that brought to it, and the character flaws are all character flaws that are included in Sinas Chinam, and that's why Sinas Chinam encompasses these three averes. The character flaw of idolatry is is. Um, <clears throat> Is the, the let's start rather with Gilai Rais that the Gilai Rais illicit acts is is a basic act of selfishness. It's when a person takes for themselves rather than the aspects of kedusha that are marriage, which is giving to others, and that's obviously a very basic flaw that leads to sinas chinam as well. That that aspect of of selfishness, and of course shvichas damim is the ultimate of of uh, disrespect and dishonoring and having no value for the people around you to the point where you can kill someone, whereas Chazal say that embarrassing someone, humiliating someone is even worse than uh, than, than, than Ritzicha. Killing someone's <coughs> character is, uh, is, is a much greater form of murder than, 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 than Shrikha Zamim itself. And again, it's included in what Sinas Chinam is, is about. And likewise, uh, idolatry, which is the lack of faith in HaKadosh Baruch Hu Bittachin and the concept of Achtos with the lack of understanding in the, in the oneness of HaKadosh Baruch Hu, is also the base lack of understanding that contributes to Sinas Chinam, the thinking that there's a difference between us and other people and other Jews, that there's, there's a division in between us, that there's, there's, there's me and there's them, is all the same base character flaw that leads to those three Averis, and even on a greater level. So when we talk about the, first, the Averis, the first base of Mikdash and the Averis, the second base of Mikdash, there's not really a difference. If anything, they got a little bit deeper and they got a little bit more they, in, 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 entrenched in the character to the point where it didn't, it didn't actualize in those sins, but it actualized in something worse, which was Sinas Chinam. Now, I don't know which parak corresponds to which Avera, but let's talk a little bit about the fourth parak, which is the story of Yeshua. It begins, Eicha uh, Yuam Zav Yishna Kesem Hatoiv. How could gold become dulled? Yishna Kesem Hatoiv. Kesem here doesn't mean a stain, it means a treasure. The wonderful treasure become debased. Tishta Pechna Avne Kaidesh. The precious gems, the sacred gems, were spilled out all over the street, at every street corner. So Rashi says that this is referring to Yeshua HaMelech, and Avne Kodesh, that his, the, it was, the, the, the precious gems were spilled out. Every drop of blood that came out of Yeshua HaMelech, because they shot him up with so many arrows, Yermia was following him and was burying each drop of blood that fell out as it fell out. And this is what he's referring to when he says his lifeblood, the precious gems were getting uh, were scattered all over the, the on every street corner. So let's let's uh, learn the story a little bit and understand why the significance of the story of Yeshua HaMelech. The, the kinna we read also is, teaches us the story as equal to the psukim in, in Tanakh. So we read the kinna this morning. It says, Eicha Eli Kainanu Me'elav 
let's all mourn ourselves. Ben He began at eight years old. That what happened was that his grandfather was Menashe. Menashe was a tremendous Russia. He was a king for 55 years, and he brought idolatry to a, set, to a level that had never been in at least the Yehuda section of Eretz Yisrael. Uh, he brought Shukhazdanen, he brought in Gilei Arayi. So he, he brought Kal Yisrael to such a low level that the decree of the Harbin was sealed with Menashe. That's when the Navi says, that's it, there's going to be a Harbin. Menashe had a son, Amoin, who was only king for two years, and interestingly, he was assassinated. Uh, different understandings why he was assassinated, but it seemed he was continuing in Menashe's uh, footsteps. He was equally as a Russia, uh, and he was the equal s- s- kind of uh, approach of steamrolling over anybody who stood in his way, uh, and they didn't, they didn't stand for it anymore, and they killed him. And at that point, his son, who was only eight years old, Yeshio HaMelech, became king, but he was a tzaddik. He was a tzaddik gomer, and the greatest tzaddik, the only tzaddik left, actually, because his sons and grandson that became kings afterwards were Rishayim. And it says, Gam Bechol Malchi Yisrael Ashakamu Ligdar, all the kings of Klai Yisrael, all of them, Ashakamu Ligdar, that tried to help Klai Yisrael to Ligdar to uh, fix the Pirtzis, to fix the Averis, to bring Klai Yisrael to, have, to a higher level, Loikam Kamoyu Miyamois Avigdar. There was none like him from the days of Moshe Rabbeinu. So the, the, this is not just poetic, uh, poetry by Akinah, it's, it's a Pasik, it's a Pasik in, in uh, Malachim. The Pasik talks about what he did to, to, uh, to change the state of Clarius or the state that we're in. It began with a story. When, after, when he was 18, 18 years old, or I'm sure I have to look at the Pasik again, or when he was a king for 18 years, either way, so either it was 10 years after he became king, or 26 years after, or, or 18 years after he became king, he began a, a process of renovating the Beis HaMikdash. The Beis HaMikdash had fallen into disrepair. Basically, when Menashe had locked the Beis HaMikdash, it had not, almost not been used, it was full of, full of idols, and it had fallen into great disrepair. So he began a process of renovating the Beis HaMikdash. They had thought, according to some of Arshim, that the, the, the Sefer Torah, the Sefer Torah that was in the Kedush HaKadoshim that sat next to the Aaron, had been lost during the time of Menashe. But that Sefer Torah was discovered. And the, the, to the surprise, it, was still, it still existed. And that Sefer Torah was meant to be rolled to Breshis. That's, that's where that Sefer Torah would, was normally rolled to. But this, at this point, it was found and it was not rolled to Breshis. So they brought it to Yeshua HaMelech and they read it in front of him and it was in Parshis uh, Kisavai, in the middle of the Teichacha. And there are different uh, opinions in the Gemara, what did he hear? In, from, from those psukim. Likel, likelihood is that they read the whole parsha in front of him because that's where it was open to. Uh, and the shell, it says that he heard, the Pasuk doesn't say what he heard, but the Pasuk says he heard it and he stood up and he tore his clothing and he says, we see that there's a great anger from Hashem against us, we have to do something about it. So the, the Gemara says two opinions, either he heard that it says, Hashem will send you and your king that you appointed above you into Galus. So you just look at the contrast between him and his son, Yehoyakim. Yehoyakim heard the same words in Eicha and commanded that Eicha be burnt up. And here Yeshua HaMelech is hearing a Pasik, Pasik in Torah that he knew very well. He, they, the, every king had to lay in Dvarim Balpeh, right, by, by Hakel. He, he knew the Pasik, uh, and he took the op- opposite approach. He was this ire from it. He, was, he tore his clothing. Uh, another opinion is that he heard the Pasik, which is right, precedes the Teichacha, Aurora Shalayakum is Divrei Taira Azais. Cursed is a person who doesn't do his job to uphold the Taira. That is actually paraphrased in the Kinna over here. Uh, it's in, uh, in a couple of lines later. It says, Zaku Amar of Kinam Das Lahakim, 
uh, he continued doing what he meant to do when he heard the command of the Torah cursed is someone who doesn't uphold the Torah so in any case, this is what he heard and he said we have to do something so he sent, what, we, what would a king do? he sent to the Navi, he sent an emissary to the Navi to find out what does Hashem want from us but here an interesting thing happened the, at that time there were three Navian there was Yermiah Navi there was Tzvanya and there was Chulda Hanavia. And the Gemara says, Yermiah Hanavi, the, he prophesied to the masses. Uh, Tzafanya Hanavi prophesied in Bismedrish, I guess to the Tamid HaChachamim, to the elite of Klai Yisrael. And Chulda Hanavia was a Navi for the women. She gave a rebuke and guidance to the women. And he sent to Chulda Hanavia. He sent a message. To, he wanted Chulda Hanavia to tell him what was going on. So the Gemara Megillah asks, why would he send to Chulda Hanavia? Why was, the Gemara has a double question. Why is Chulda Hanavia allowed to answer him? Her, her Rebbe was Yirmiyah Navi. She wasn't allowed to answer in the place of her Rebbe, Yirmiyah Navi. And why did, uh, why did, did Yeshua Amel send to her and not to Yirmiyah Navi? So the Gemara answers why. She was allowed to. Then the Gemara asks, why did he send to her? So the Gemara has one terrorist that Yirmiyah Navi wasn't there. He had gone to the other side of Eretz Yisrael to get back to Aserah Sashvatim. But the second shot the Gemara says is because he sent to her because she was a woman. And Nashim Rahmani is hain. And women are merciful. So Masha asks, basically everybody asks really, to say, what do you mean? I mean, she's a Nevi'ah, right? She's saying what Hashem wants. <laughs> What's the difference who she is? She's a woman, a man. She can be merciful, not merciful. She's saying what Hashem, what Hashem says. Not going to change who she is. So the Masha says... That, that it's not that what she was going to, to, uh, to say as a Nevoah, that's not going to be different, but he was hoping that she, as a Nevoah, as a woman, she's merciful, so she'll daven on their behalf. So she'll daven that Hashem changes decree. And this also is very hard to understand, because throughout the Psukim and Yermiyahu, Yermiyahu Navi himself is the Meister Nefesh to the greatest extent on the behalf of Kali Yisrael. He's constantly davening on their behalf for Kali Yisrael. He had the greatest mercy. He went into Golis with them. So what kind of difference was there here between uh, her and, and Yermiyahu and Avi that he was concerned about? So I, I had a speculation, which I then saw others to say as well, similar, other Swarim say similar idea, was that there was a shtikl taina here on Yerushiyah HaMelech, because Yermiyahu and Avi had been giving Musa already straight. He had been giving rebuke to Kali Yisrael, he had been giving them rebuke about the Avadizara that was going on, the rebuke about all different things, and he did not want to speak. He was, he was worried to talk to Yermiyahu and Avi, to hear more rebuke, and therefore, he sent to Chulda with the hope that she would, she, she would just give him you know, tefillah and rachmanis. And the Gemara Megillah says, and the Gemara Megillah says this as a taina on Chulda Hanavia, that when she sent back to him, she referred to him as Ish, as the man, instead of referring to him as Melach, as the king. The Gemara says this was, that was improper, she shouldn't have done that. But the question still want, it makes you wonder, why did she do that? Why did she refer to him in a little bit humiliating way? And again, I saw in a safer, because she felt this. She said, this, you're making... This was wrong, what you did, that you chose to speak to me and not to Yirmiyah Hanavi. It was, it, was, it was an incorrect choice. But in any case, she told him that HaKadosh Baruch Hu is true, has a tremendous anger against Kali Yisrael, but due to the fact that you are humbling yourself and you're tearing your clothing and you're demonstrating that you're willing to do tshuva, so the, delay, the decree was delayed. And this was an important message because the decree was delayed and could have continued to be delayed. And it could have been delayed indefinitely. Would have Kali Yisrael continued with tshuva? With the tshuva process, would it have actually been, uh, been come to a certain point and a certain level that HaKadosh Baruch Hu would have satisfied, been satisfied with it? The, delay, the decree could have indefinitely been de- uh, delayed. But what happened next was that Yeshio went on a mission to root out 
um, root out of a desire from Kal Yisrael. And the Pasuk testifies that he rooted out of a desire in a way that it had never been addressed before. He, he, he destroyed of a desire that had been around for centuries. Avadazar that had been brought in by Shlomo Mal's wives, he was the, finally the one that destroyed it. He went to the other side of Eretz Yisrael where it had been previously occupied by Malchi Yisrael, they had gone in Golis already. He destroyed Yeram ben Nevat's Mizbeach. It was a historic Mizbeach, the first Mizbeach for idolatry that was built by Yeram ben Nevat, who has been standing for hundreds of years. Navi had prophesied to Yeram ben Nevat that it would be destroyed, and this was, it was destroyed by Yeshua Mal. So he went throughout Eretz Yisrael and literally wiped out every shred of Avedizara that there was. And after he, he, did, he went on that mission and he thought he was successful, he had thought he did, was successful in wiping out all Avedizara, he gathered all of Klai Yisrael to make a carbon Pesach, which, as we know from the Pesach Torah, that those two things always follow one another. When uh, you root out of Avedizara, that's when you can bring a carbon Pesach. And we lane this on, on Pesach as well. Um, we say uh, that that there was no other Pesach like that in all of history from the times of the Shaftim. And then the Pasik testifies, And like him, there was no other king that returned to Hashem with all his heart and all his soul. That's why the Kina testifies that he was There was no one who stood like him from the days of Moshe Rabbeinu. Okay, we have to stop over here. But here's the question. If he was so successful and he did such a reform in Eretz Yisrael and brought back levels of, of, of a serving Hashem that hadn't been around since the times of Shaiftim or, or Maish Rabbeinu, so why then was he not successful? Why was it that clearly the it seems that the decree of the Harbin was not reversed, and the Pasuk says it clearly, Hashem did not reverse the anger that he had about Yehuda and all the things that Menashe had done. Why is that? So that brings us to the next line of the Kina, which explains it to us. It says, He was it, it stuck to him the sin of the Litsane Hadar, the people who mocked him in the generation, Ashokamu Akhar Hadalasar, they made an Avaidazara behind their uh, their their doors. What does that mean? His his efforts were not ultimate success successful and he was killed because the Litsane Hadar the, the mockers, or today we would call them the haters. There was no social media to mock and cancel someone then, anonymously, and you couldn't openly mock and oppose a king. That was a death sentence in the making. So what did they do? They secretly mocked his efforts. They had double-door entrances to their homes and rooms, and when you open both doors, so the inside of the door gets hidden by the walls, and then on the inside of their doors, they had engraved or painted images of idols. So even though he had all these people going and searching in all the houses for idols, they opened the doors and they couldn't see that there was an idol there unless you were like in on the secret. So Yeshua's policing system was uh, overridden by this message. They out, they this uh, idea outwitted them, but it wasn't. If you see from the way the the Kina says it, and it's really the Gemara that it wasn't the idolatry that ruined his efforts. It was the Litzanis of the Litzane Adar. You know, we have Gedolah Hadar. Did you know we have Litzani Hadar? Uh, it means that this was a concerted effort to reverse what Yeshua was doing. It wasn't just a few individuals. 
it was a movement, a general attitude that was known to exist, and it was not dealt with by the people who didn't know, which means that there was the people who were actually mocking him. And then there were the people who knew about it and kind of smiled behind his back. And then there were the people that knew about it and said, mm, you know, we should do something, but they did nothing. And then there were the people who just didn't care. So overall, what it ended up being was that the big overhaul that, that Yeshio was trying to do, he was trying to change the whole nature of Klai Israel. So he was physically removing that by Zara, and he went and he enforced it, but it didn't get taken up by the people, and therefore it was not going to have a kiyum, it wasn't going to last, and indeed it didn't, it didn't last after he died. Why didn't it last? Because they didn't really accept him, they didn't really honor him, they they, they were mavazahim, they humiliated him, they were, they mocked his efforts, they said, eh, it's worthless, it's not, not, no point, why should we buy into what he is trying to convince us of doing? And this brings us to a third point, which was, demonstrates that when these kind of things happen, it's usually across the board. It's not um, it's not an individualized issue with specific people, but there is a global problem that affects both the, the Klal and the leaders that causes such a thing to happen. Because what happened next was the way he died. What happened? He, this is the passage, what it says now in the Kinnah, um, the Kina says that Kala Hamoine He brought his the Hamoin of Klai Yisrael, the, the multitudes of Klai Yisrael, to do war by going Maram Narayim. Laman leisaber cherub kalshu Ephraim, because he held that there should not be even a little bit of a cherub, a sword or, or an army in this case, to go through Ephraim to go through Eretz Yisrael. He didn't listen to the Navi that he should back off. Because it's already been decreed in Yeshaya Navi, that Mitzrayim, who were the, were the army that was going through Eretz Yisrael, would not be defeated by Klal Yisrael. They would be defeated by civil war. Mitzrayim will destroy Mitzrayim. And then he didn't listen. So what happened? What happened was, was that Paroi was making a war against a different country, and he just had to go through Eretz Yisrael. It took a path. They weren't had nothing. They had no beef with Klal Yisrael. They weren't going to fight against them. But um, Yeshua understood from the Pasik of the Brachis, which precedes the Techecha in Parashat B'chukaisa, it says, A sword won't go through your land. And Rashi explains, as part of the Brachis, Of course they won't come and wage war. Uh, because that's Pasha, we're in the Brachas now, right? Even they just want to pass through, the uh, army won't pass through because of the Brachas of Pasha's Bechukaisa, and that's a big deal, because an army, uh, they always lay waste, even if they're not waging war, they take uh, what they want, and they, they destroy things as they wish, so it's not a great thing when an army goes passes through a country. And his understanding, the Yeshua's understanding, was that Klaiusra had just reached the level where they are worthy of the brachas because he had rooted out all the Avodizara. Everybody came together and they made a carbon pesach. They were doing a, a, a tshuva. He was doing tshuva. And he thought the Klaiusra was following behind him, though unfortunately they were not. But he thought they were. So he thought that they were worthy of the bracha, and if so, you have to prevent Paroi from going through even a Kherif Kalshu. Any kind of army can't go through Ayers Yisrael, and it was therefore worthwhile making a war to prevent them from doing it. And he thought that wasn't the situation, but unfortunately what happened was, was that um, he had a personal sin here, which is why he ended up himself dying. Yirmiyahu and Navi came and told him that, no, you're doing the wrong thing. You can't go and wage war against them because Yeshayahu and Navi, my Rebbe, already prophesied that Mitzrayim will only be destroyed through Mitzrayim, civil war, not through Kali Yisrael. So you're meant to back off and not go to war with them. 
and the Oshio chose to override Yermio's command. And we don't know what was his reasoning, and there's no question that it was a halachic debate, and there was volumes and volumes of sarm written about each side. But perhaps what he thought was that the prophecy was only before Klai Israel had made such an unprecedented tshuva effort, an unexpected tshuva effort, and now there was a different situation. It was one of bracha, and that um, that nevuah, like a nevuah lara, uh, could be or it can be undone, and it doesn't have to. It doesn't have to remain now that Klai Israel's tshuva could change everything. But uh, he was wrong because in truth Klai Israel hadn't. But the real problem here wasn't that. That wasn't the problem. That was not why he. His mistake wasn't the fact that 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 got him killed. What the 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 problem was that there was a character flaw. That was the problem, and that was that kings, all Malchi Israel have a very specific commandment more than anyone else that they cannot disrespect the command of a navi, even if it has no basis in the Torah, even if it like seem, seems insignificant. The pasuk says. He can't, and so that his heart doesn't become more arrogant than his brothers, and he shouldn't go sur. He shouldn't go away from the command not to the right, not to the left. So that he will have arichus yamim who and him and his children. And Rashi explains that even an insignificant command of a navi, like Shaul commanded, uh, was commanded by Shmuel that he should wait for Shmuel before he brings the carbon and he didn't wait it was an insignificant seemingly insignificant command but he disregarded the command and because of that he lost his whole kingdom and Yeshua this uh, Yeshua I'm sorry disregarded, disregarded this command of a Navi and because he thought he was wrong, but that's kind of included in what the Pasik says, the Vilti Surman and Mitzvah, Yaman Usmal, right or left, which often what it means is, is that even if he, you think he's telling you on your right hand it's your left hand, or your left hand and it's your right hand, meaning to say, you know for sure he's wrong. It doesn't make a difference. You have to listen to the Navi. And because he didn't, the end of the Pasik came true, that it wasn't Yarach Yamim, Amamlachtuvanav. He did not live long and his children did not live long. They were deposed one by one by Nebuchadnezzar. So we start to see that so although such an amazing level of tshuva was done, he himself had a slight, tiny little flaw in Kabbat Chachamim, in Kabbat Hanavi, and the nation had a tremendous flaw in Kabbat Chachamim, and as a result, the tshuva didn't stick, and it didn't uh, help to diverse the decree, and ultimately he died. But when he died in this terrible way that they shot 300 arrows at him, the end of the the end of the Pekina is very very inspiring. He was a tremendous tzaddik, and he did tshuva then. Uh, it says, They shot him. He was dying, his eye closing his eyes, and they were still shooting him. They were shooting arrow after arrow, puncturing him. They captured him. They made him like a, a bullseye for uh, a target for, for arrows. And they shot him up with 300 arrows. Kalim, it says, He ran after him. This is when he was burying each vias uh, of blood, as Rashi said. As in Maitzapir, to hear what he was saying. Until his last breath, he was he did uh, righteous deeds. The breath of his lips were Hashem is righteous. I have gone against his will. So he did tshuva on his last moment. And really, the fact that he did tshuva really should have been another schus for Klal Yisrael. Misas tzadikim should be mechaper. So what, what are we supposed to do with all this information? What, what, what are we supposed to do with this story? What is it coming to teach us? And how are we meant to work on ourselves as a result? And now, if we look at the psukim in the fourth parak of Echa, which Yermio is giving um, us, uh, he's lamenting the death, but he's also giving us Musr, he says 
two times he mentions the disrespect to to Talmid Chachamim. He says, "Michatas Neviyaha, Avoynus Kaihaneha, Hashevchem Bikirba Dam Tzadikim," from the sin of their prophets, which means the false prophets, and the sin of the Kahanim that they 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 spill the blood within them of Tzadikim. Which either means literally they killed Sadiqim, or it means they disrespected them. So, so figuratively, it was like they killed them. They're like Shaykh Damim by, by humiliating them. And uh, both Ravenus and Ibishitz, I found, and Rav, um, Rav Shlom Kluger in a, in a Hespit that he gave on the Chasm Cipher quote this Pasik, and they say that this is why the Mises Sadiqim did not help them because they didn't respect the Tzadikim. If they would have respected the Tzadikim, then Mises Tzadikim would have been Mechaper. They explained the Pasik says that. Um, the the kings the the the, the that's the beginning of this pasuk that they wouldn't believe they would be able to overcome Yerushalayim because they thought there's so many tzaddikim. But the answer was mechatas neviyah. They they sinned by not respecting the tzaddikim, so we lost the schus of um, uh, of misa tzaddikim. And likewise, pasuk says in pasuk tazayin pnei Hashem chilkam Hashem's face divided them up and scattered them. Yisrael will continue to look at them because pnei kehanim le'nesahu they did not um, elevate the faces of the kehanim the 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 covet for the kehanim who were the rabbeim v'nezkenim le'chanan and they did now were not kind to Canaan. And really it's Gemara Shabbos, the Gemara says, The reason why Yerushalayim was destroyed was because they humiliated and disrespected Tamir Chachamim. And what's important to understand is that it doesn't only mean, which although it probably happened, they didn't. it doesn't mean that they literally disrespected them or they didn't stand up for them or they, or they actually went and talked about them and, and that, that, that's not the point, actually. The point means more... Uh, even a a a passive disrespect, even being apathetic, is also bizarre in Tamil Chamim. And it's something that we have to understand both about Senaschinam and about Bizarin Tamil Chamim, very humiliating Tamil Chamim. I think of it this way, Senaschinam we think it means you hate someone for no reason. I mean let me ask you a question. How many people hate someone for absolutely no reason? We're talking about racism, is that what the Torah was talking about? Was that so prevalent among Jews that Jews hated other Jews because of a different race? I mean, at that time, they were all the same race. They were all they were all uh, living in Eretz Yisrael. They were all the same. There was uh, no Sephardim and Ashkenazim yet. It was pre uh, pre any Gullus. So uh, who who would hate who exactly for what? What well, what was this Chinam? So. Uh, not, not, not to imply that Sephardim hate Ashkenazim or Ashkenazim hate Sephardim, I just mean there was no difference in between the people at all. There was like no, not no different sects at all. So what, what does this even mean? So it's a misunderstanding. That's not what Sinas Chinam means. Sinas Chinam, according to Chazal, if you look, and I have time to go into it now, but the source is that any time there's a, a lack of expected love, if any time that we don't we don't look out for other people, care about other people, kind, include them, see to to to, to see to their needs. Anytime we're just simply busy with ourselves and just just caught up with our own lives, and we don't care about other people, that is called it's equivalent to hatred in Chazal's eyes. That's called sinas chinam. Think think of it this way. Let's say you were to walk into a crowded kiddush. A lot of people know you there. You know you're not a stranger in that shul, and you're walking around. There's all kinds of people you know, and not a single person says hello to you. Nobody waves. Nobody says hello. Nobody even acknowledges you. And and it, actually, it's just they posh didn't notice you. They're too busy talking to their friends. They just didn't notice you. But how are you going to feel? That's their perspective, right? They're just being apathetic. But what's your perspective? How are you going to feel? I have no question. You would feel, oh my goodness, everybody here somehow hates me. I wonder what I did. Did I, did I do something to the shul? Did I do something to these people, and, and really they're just self-consumed, but from the person who's receiving it, it's hatred. That's the only way it translates. It doesn't translate any other way, and that's the, what the Torah considers sin as chinam. 
If we're too self-consumed and we don't take notice or action to help other people who need it, who are expecting it, who it's, it's expected to be there for them, all the many ways we can, that's an eschina. It's inexcusable. And the same goes for Bezayin Talmud al-Chamim. We have Talmud al-Chamim, we have Rebbeim, we have teachers, we have mentors. They represent the Taira, they represent Hashem. I mean, what other way do we have for Hashem to talk to us? Only through the Taira, and only through Talmud al-Chamim who represent the Taira. And if we ignore them, if we don't seek out their advice, if we don't seek out the opportunity to talk to them, if we just simply are pathetic, are pathetic we don't care about them, then that is equivalent to humiliating Talmud al-Chamim. That is humiliating Talmud al-Chamim. I heard someone commenting once how years ago, if you were by a chasana, there was a Rosh Hashiva there who had been Masada Kedushan, and he was waiting around for the first dance. It used to be there were always a line of people there. Someone was sitting with him and talking with him, and as soon as that person got up, someone else sat down. They would just utilize the opportunity. The uh, big Tamil Chacham is here. Let's talk to him. And now, it's a little like that, but a lot more you see people just busy on their phones, right? So it's 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 a equivalent to B'zayin Tamid Hacham. Does the Tamil Chacham care? He's probably happy to sit alone. But Hashem cares. This is me. This is my representatives. And you're ignoring them. That means you don't, you, you're, you're humiliating my word. And that is the message of the fourth parak of Eicham. Yeshio could have been successful if he had perfected his respect for Yermiyah and Avi, and the nation could have averted the Harbin if they had treated and venerated Yeshio with the proper respect and honor. And it was ultimately the lack of Kavet Hamad that contributed to the downfall, as Chazal say, So us, we, to end on a good note, it's uh, within our power to reverse it at any given point. And if we show Kavet Hamad Chamim, if we utilize the opportunity to look out for other people so that we demonstrate Ahavas Chinam, the Ahava that we're meant to have, that is totally within our power to do and with that we can reverse the decree on the Kharban at any time just as they could have done then and we should be Zaycha to be a Darsh and Nibna Besamikdash be Yemenu. Amen.